Welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for Families. In our podcast, we look for the best of the West and discuss the stories, events, themes, and people that made the West different than the rest. Previously, Marie discussed three contributions of Greek civilization, the invention of history, philosophy, and theater. Today, I would like to continue on this theme of Greek civilization's importance. We already talked about Judeo-Christian culture and how those fundamentals affected us here in the West, but you can't have a baby without two parents, and Greek civilization certainly played that role in birthing the beautiful civilization we have today, folks. Let me explain why. Philosophy. Art. Architecture. Coins. Storytelling. Holidays. You name it. Every element of our culture has the DNA of classical Greece mixed in. Greece gave us Herculean tasks, the Socratic method, Trojan horses, Olympic games, the Pythagorean theorem, Platonic friends, laconic replies, narcissism, ostracizing, and Homerian epics. Our scientific names, celestial bodies, constellations, mathematical variables, and measurement systems are full of Greek words, names, prefixes, and letters. The fundamentals of geometry and astronomy bear the fingerprints of Greek thinkers. You cannot understand Western civilization without knowing about Greece. That's because Greeks invented the concept of Western civilization to begin with. The concept of a Western, Occidental civilization developed around 550 BC by the Greeks during the Persian Wars. They had to have this concept because in this conflict, the Greeks were not a united country, but rather hundreds of tiny, separate countries called city-states. They faced the Persian Empire, a fabulously wealthy and powerful conglomeration of Medes, Babylonians, Lydians, and Egyptians, with a population of around 20 to 25 million people. This empire had an autocratic tyrant at their head. The empire believed that its religion was all-encompassing and systematized it, and they would not tolerate divergent thinking. Can you imagine what Persians, fire worshippers, would do if someone like the philosopher Thales declared that the world was made of water? They would have an Agni Kai to the death with that man, and Thales would be toast. Only in an open-minded place like Greece could such a bold philosopher exist. Thankfully, he died shortly before the Persians conquered his home of Miletus. Miletus was on the west coast of Turkey, and was near many other important Greek cities, like Ephesus and Lydia. These were all conquered by the Persians early on in the Greco-Persian Wars. They chafed under the rule of the Persians. The Persians imposed tyrants over them as governors, and gave a monopoly on sea trade to the darn Phoenicians. The Greeks in this area were called Ionians, and like their cousins in Athens, they relied on sea trade as their source of income. And so they launched a revolt against the Persians. They successfully enlisted the aid of the Athenians to help them. The revolt was eventually put down, but not before they had successfully burned down Sardis, 
the Persian seat of the region. The Persians were very much offended that these Athenians, these Western hick cousins of the Ionians, who were even more arrogant, had defied them. Emperor Darius vowed to burn Athens to the ground for what they did to Sardis. And so the remaining Greeks, living to the west, across the Aegean Sea, papered over their differences to put up a united front against these Persians. This was ingeniously accomplished through the statesmanship of Themistocles, who rallied the Greeks to fight for Eleutheria, freedom. The playwright Esclo said that the rowers of the ships, also known as triremes, at the Battle of Salamis chanted Eleutheria as they rowed each row. This was important because without these uniting views, the powerful militaristic Spartans would have isolated themselves on Peloponnesus leaving Athens to be destroyed, and Sparta to soon be surrounded and overwhelmed by amphibious assaults thereafter. This notion that Western countries unite to fight for freedom evolved into the modern concept of the West, that our nations stand for citizens' rights, free markets, we stand for empiricism, we stand for democracy, we stand against tyranny in all its forms. We might be from different places, with different jobs, different languages, and different governments. But all of us in the West agree that we do not want to be subjected to autocratic empires. This was the idea that united Athens and Sparta anciently, and this is the idea that unites Western countries across Europe and the Americas today. Before the tragedy of industrialized public education, or factory education, in the mid-19th century, children's education focused on learning about these Greeks and these classic stories of Greek civilization. In fact, the term grammar school originally referred to learning Greek and Latin grammar. The thought was, why would you teach English grammar at school when it's something kids learn about at home? This emphasis on classical Greek civilization and language was profoundly beneficial for the youth of previous generations. The Greek historians provided stories that served as models and anti-models for successful government and leadership. They furnished the theories of popular sovereignty and natural law. The Greek philosophers gave Westerners a mutual sense of identity and purpose along with an understanding of human nature and virtue. The stories of Greek drama and myth gave youth a rich set of symbols, metaphors, and allegory to use as shorthand to communicate the biggest ideas. Children regularly studied the Greek New Testament, Homer, Aristotle, and Euclid in school. When they got to college, they would receive three to four more years of classical training, they would fill their notebooks with excerpts of the stories and philosophies that most interested them. They would quote and pursue these ideas for a lifetime of learning. College commencement exercises generally featured exhibitions in which students competed for prizes by reciting or reading Greek and Latin or speaking extemporaneously in these tongues. The students were so steeped in Greek ideas that in their spare time, 
they would join secret societies with Greek names and they would be given Greek pseudonyms based on ancient politicians and figures that represented their personalities. Nowadays, we have lost much of our connection with our Greek heritage. These secret societies devolved into these lame fraternities and sororities you hear about today. And these wonderful colleges, these institutions of higher learning, well, now they're just diploma printing factories. You pay a hundred thousand bucks for a piece of paper that says you know how to shut up and follow the rules. They used to be signals that you knew how to think deeply about the most important ideas that humans have pondered since the ancient Greeks. And just look at the list of AP courses today. There's not a single AP course that gives a single day to cover Greek history, philosophy, art, or literature. Both European and world history courses start after the year 1200. This is a tragedy as sad as Oedipus Rex. When our civilization became disconnected with the ideas and stories of Greece the first time around, it triggered what's known as the Dark Ages, or more accurately, the early medieval period in Europe, starting around 450 AD and going to 1000 AD. This was a time when petty tyrants ruled small fiefdoms. Trade was rather uncommon. Aristocrats did not value scholarship or clerics, and much of Greek scholarship was lost. Very few written records exist in this period. As the New World Encyclopedia states, knights learned to fight, not to read. This period ended when European crusaders brought back the writings and knowledge of the ancient Greeks. These writings had been preserved by the educated and wealthy Arab empires that the crusaders had gone to fight. Now, am I saying ignoring the Greeks will send us to the Dark Ages? No. But I am saying that by disconnecting ourselves from our heritage that explains how to operate a Western civilization and raise up a well-informed populace and live a virtuous public life, we are making it easier to be taken over by tyrants since we're not learning from the rich texture of lessons, morals, and symbols of the Greeks in the past. We're not reading the manual on how to run the civilization they created for us. And this is the crux of this podcast's existence. We are doing our best to research these fundamental origins of Western civilization so that these timeless teachings from the past are not ignored today. And this is why we share our sources at the end of every episode. These episodes are just primers to get you and your family on a course for continued learning and study. Speaking of which, to learn more about the topics in this episode, you will have to check out Victor Davis Hansen's masterful class on Sparta and Athens, offered at Hillsdale College Online. These courses are free and a wonderful introduction to Greek civilization. I also recommend the Greco-Persian Wars episode on the History of Modern Greece podcast. Also, if you want to learn more about classical education in America in the 1700s and the 1800s, read The American Founding by the Wheatley Institution. An excellent introduction to the classics is called The Classics by Carolyn Taggart. 
And finally, I encourage you to check out the rich primary sources from this era of history, written just a few years removed from these wars. They were written by Herodotus, who Marie talked about last episode, and also Thucydides. And that concludes our podcast for today. Thank you, dear listener, for listening today. We encourage you to share this podcast with someone you love. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic day.